0: Well, good morning, church family. My name is Pastor George, and I serve as your missions pastor here at New Beginnings. And I am so thankful for each and every one of you here this morning, and for those joining us online, thank you as well. Hey, man, give a round of applause for this worship. Oh my goodness. I love coming into God's house and being able to hear that, so good. Guys, we're gonna be in Luke today. As you're turning your Bibles there, I wanna tell you a story about a man that some of you may or may not know, a man by the name of Larry Walters. So, Larry grew up in California. As a kid, he was a visionary, he was a dreamer, and he wanted to be a pilot. But unfortunately, Larry's eyesight, he wasn't able to do that. They weren't allowing that because of his poor eyesight, but that wasn't gonna stop Larry for continuing on to chase after his dream. And so as Larry progressed in age, he was planning and this vision of one day being able to take this flight. To go on this flight, it was gonna look a little different than what normal flights look like, but Larry had this plan and this, this, this purpose that he was gonna go on this flight. And so Larry, in July of 1982, Larry put his plan into place, and Larry's flight was gonna look differently because he was going via lawn chair, right? You hear that, you're like, what, Larry? This is my man, Larry. Okay, look at him, Larry took, he went to the hardware store, he got 42 weather balloons attached to his lawn chair, and he had this grand plan that he had mapped out perfectly. But he wasn't going to just do that. He put on a parachute just in case things got a little out of control. He had a safety net. My man got his sandwich. He took a bottle of Coca-Cola. He took a pellet gun. So Larry was prepared. Man, he was, he was ready for this thing. His whole plan was he was going to take off. He, he was going to go up. He was going to hover around for like 50, 60 feet in the air. He was going to be able to look out at the California desert and just enjoy his view. So the day came. He got his whole crew there. His girlfriend's there. She's on the CB radio. He has his radio. They cut the guideline, and here goes Larry. He's taking off, and he's floating. He's floating. He's like, man, this is, this is pretty cool. He's keeping going. He gets to 50 feet, right? He gets to 50, 60 feet, 100 feet, and he just keeps going, and Larry's like, man, I love this view, but we're, we're going higher and higher, right? He gets to 500 feet. 700 feet. Larry reached 16,000 feet in the air. And Larry, surprisingly, Larry never, like, got, you know, out of control. Um, he, was, he stayed cool the whole time on, his, on the way up. He, he was like, man, this is not good. I don't know what I'm going to do to stop it. His, his legs started tingling a little bit. And he was like, this is going to end up very bad. He got so high where commercial airliners were calling air traffic control, saying, hey, I have a UFO, an unidentified flying object. And they did. It was our boy Larry in his lawn chair. Could you imagine that? Being a pilot, looking out, and seeing a guy in a lawn chair with a bunch of balloons on? <laughs> <laughs> and Larry said, OK, I got I to get it down out from here. So he pulled out his be- pellet gun, and he started shooting some of the balloons. He started slowly coming down. And by this time, you know, everybody knew about it. The police knew about it, because Everybody was aware this guy's floating around in the air in a lawn chair. And so they had to shut down two city blocks because they were afraid when Larry came down, he was gonna hit an electrical cord, electrical wires and and fry himself. So they cut off all the electricity for two city blocks. But Larry somehow came out of this thing without getting hurt at all. I mean, I I couldn't believe that first off. And then when the reporter came to Larry, he said, Man, Larry, what what were you thinking? I mean, what what gets in a man's mind where you can say, I'm going to hook some stuff up to a lawn chair, some balloons, and I'm going to float off, and you're going to be okay with that. Like, everybody's going to be okay. They're like, Larry, what were you thinking? And Larry says this, and it it rang home to me. He says, a man just can't sit around. Larry said, a man just can't sit around. He was tired of just sitting around, not doing nothing. Larry had too much time on his hands. And I feel like there's a lot of people in here that that might resonate a little bit deeper with. Like maybe your day-to-day routine, you're like thinking, man, there has to be more to life than this. There has to be something going on that, that this can't be it, right? And I'm here to, to tell you today that there's so much more. God has so much more planned for you. God has a plan and a purpose for you. And so to, this week we have been over this past, couple of months going through our sermon series called The New Person and New Purpose. And the whole purpose of that was for you guys to hear about how we are called, we are commanded to go. We are commanded to go in our communities. We're commanded to go to our families, in our workplace. We are commanded to go, every one of us, to go tell about the gospel. It tells us this in Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 19. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit." He says very clearly, Jesus says very clearly, to go. Go, therefore. We've been told to go. He doesn't beat around the bush about that. Now, that could look different. That could be internationally, that could be in different states, or that could be right next door, but we are called to go. And Jesus also tells us in Luke, where we'll be turning to, of what we should be doing to prepare ourselves before we go. What are some ways we should be pleading to God before we go? And that brings us to Luke chapter 10, verses 1, where our scripture will be written from today. And it says this, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So let me bring you up to speed where we're at. We're in Luke chapter 10, but right before that in chapter 9, Jesus had sent off his apostles. They had been doing uh, miraculous works in his name. they have been healing in his name. they have been doing so many things in Jesus' name, and they come back together, and they're here with this 72. They're going around from different places with Jesus, watching Jesus doing all these uh, amazing things, but Jesus is telling them in chapter 9, like, it's going to cost you something to follow me. It's not gonna be easy for you to follow me, right? You're gonna to have to give up something, say no to something, and say yes to something. It's gonna cost you something to follow me. It's gonna be hard. And in verse one of chapter 10, it says, after this, the Lord appointed the 72. Well, there are often oftentimes people can debate back and forth of what this number is, 70, 72, what the number was. Some people said it was the, in Genesis chapter 10, it lists all the nations that that were represented there. Others say different things. It can be debated back and forth, but the main point of the the text here is to say that Jesus expands his ministry past the original 12. And then he sends them ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he says then, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly. That's my, my first point. We should be praying earnestly for laborers. Praying earnestly for laborers. I grew up in a, a small, a very small East Texas town, not not too far from here. My dad was a coach, a principal, and a farmer. My grandfather was a professor and a farmer. We were, the Willises are farming people, right? And we have always had a couple of acres of vegetable gardens, and so, We'd have watermelons, we'd have cantaloupe, we'd have purple whole peas, we'd have all these different things. And as a kid growing up, I loved being able to go out and help my dad with the garden and every aspect of it. it. It brought me joy. And so my dad would go out and till the garden up. He would plow it up. And then as a kid, I remember at a little age, I would go out and I'd have my little seed packets and I would, I would make a little hole and I'd pour the seed in there. And, I'd go, and we would do that for just rows and rows and rows. And I loved it. It, was, it, was, it just brought me so much joy doing that, but as time goes, those seeds start, start sprouting, and I love seeing a little watermelon grow and get bigger and bigger, but I hated seeing the peas, because peas, there's thousands of these things. Like, they just keep popping up, popping up, popping up, and somebody has to go get these peas, right? And so, it always fell upon me and my brother to go out and pick peas. And I hated that part of it. Because my brother, he'd always find a way to disappear when it was time to, to pick some peas. And so we send, they, my parents would send us out. And I'm like, there has got to be a better, a better way of doing this. And there has to be a better way to go do this by hand. You got a bushel, a big, a big basket, and you're putting all these peas in. And I would be looking for my brother. He's nowhere to be found. He's in there playing Nintendo 64, doing his thing. I'm like, man, come outside. Come labor with me. Come get in this with me. And I couldn't ever find him. He'd go, he'd be lost. And I feel like that's kind of what this scripture is saying here. He says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He's telling us to pray for people to go and tell others about Jesus. Jesus tells us to pray to God, who is the one that the harvest belongs to. He's the one who created the harvest to begin with. And he's telling us to pray for us to send people to go out into the harvest of the people that he desperately loves so dearly about. But they're lost. He's like, pray for people to go into the harvest. Earnestly pray. If you look up the definition of earnestly in the Greek, it's diome. And it means to beg, to long for, to desperately plead, so on Wednesday nights, we have been coming to the prayer meeting every Wednesday, and if you haven't came and been a part of that, you're missing out, because that is exactly what we're doing. We're hitting our knees. We're, pu- we're putting our face on the ground. We're begging God for revival in this place. We're begging God to reconcile marriages. We're begging God to reconcile homes. We're begging God to break us free of different addictions. But the same way that we come on Wednesday night and we're hitting our knees begging him for those things, we need to be begging God for laborers to send out into the harvest. Is that important? Why is it that important? You're like, George, I hear you. You're, you're screaming at me about this. You got, why is it so important? Well, it's so important because the harvest is plentiful. There are over 3,105 unengaged, unreached people groups in the world. Now, that's a lot of of use, George. What does that mean? Unengaged, unreached people. That means there's a group of people living somewhere around the world that has never heard of Jesus, right? Nobody's been there to tell them about Jesus. And then if there is someone there, it's a less than 2% evangelical presence. There's no church. They have no access to the Bible. These uh, Bible studies, they don't have any of that. They're unengaged. There's more than 3,105 unengaged people groups in the world. I just, me and my family just came back recently from a, a beach vacation in Orange Beach, and it was great. We had a great time, that's all good. It's always fun going down, but on the way back, that's a different story. After 25, 30 uh, different potty breaks and everything else, you know, you're like, when are we ever going to make it home? And one of those 1,000 breaks that we stopped at, I was, we stopped in Jackson, Mississippi. And I remember getting to Jackson, and uh, I remembered this statistic that I read from the IMB, and it says that there are more than 155,000 people that die Daily without knowing Jesus. That would be, imagine that city, Jackson, if everyone in Jackson died in one day. That's two people every second that die without ever hearing about Jesus. That's why it's so important. That's why we must be praying earnestly for laborers to go out into the harvest. We read about a beautiful picture in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, where it says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and with palm branches in their hands and crying out with loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Can y'all imagine that picture? Imagine, just imagine that, being around the throne, every nation, every language, every people group circled around praising our God. It's a wonderful picture to think about, but if we want that to happen, we must have laborers going into the harvest telling about Jesus. We have got to go, we have to live, sit, live on mission. So one way that I try to remind myself of this, because I'm so attached to my cell phones, we all are. Society has made us that way. One way that I help remind me of praying earnestly for these laborers is every day at 10.02 a.m., I set a reminder on my phone to pray Luke 10.2. And I want to encourage you, church, to, to join me in doing that. Set a reminder on your phone and every day at 10.02, pray the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Y'all join me in doing that. As we continue on into verse three, it brings me to my next point. We each have a path to go on. My path is differently from each and every one of you in this room. We each have a path to go on. It says in verse 3, Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Jesus tells them to go your way. He tells each and every one of those 72, two by two, to go your way. Y'all are going into a different direction, you have a different people group you're going after to engage with. You have a different community you're going after. You have a different family that you're going after. Each and every one of you have a different family, a different community, a different workplace that you are called into to go and tell about Jesus, but it's not gonna be easy. You're gonna be sent out into hard situations. Things are gonna come against you. There's gonna be persecution against you. He's telling you, you must be like a lamb amongst wolves to go, and because those seventy-two went, it calls for so many more missionaries to go and tell about Jesus all across the world. Till somebody finally came to USA. Till somebody finally came to Texas. There's more people going all across the world. Missionaries like Adoniram Johnson, who in the 1700s. He was the first to preach and start Baptist churches in Burma. He also translated the entire Bible in that language. Or like George Lyle, he was a slave preacher who is accredited to being the, the first slave preacher to start African American Baptist churches in the United States as well as in Jamaica. Some of those names you may have never heard about, but every one of those names, they're at a, Adonai and George, two different people, two different backgrounds, two different experiences, culture, two different raisings, but they have the same mission, and that was to make Jesus' name known. And each each one of them had to give up something. They had to put something at the altar, say yes to something, yes to Jesus. I'm going to do whatever you're asking me to do. I'm going to go for it. I'm not gonna hold back anymore. And that part can be scary, that part can be hard, because you don't know where the next dollar's gonna come from. You don't know what the next plan is. But each one of those missionaries had to say yes. And so it caused us, it called them to have to give up a lot. It caused them to have to lose a lot. It caused them to have to say some hard goodbyes. And so I feel like today, church, we we have an opportunity to be able to see an example of what that could look like for a family to go, to put their yes at the altar and say, Jesus, I don't know the the next route, the next plan, but I do know that I can trust in you. And I say yes. So church, I want to invite up some of my friends, the Mathis family, would y'all give them a round of applause while they come up? So Mike and Amanda, there's a beautiful picture of them and their kids, Emily and Sam. I met—I'll tell you how I met Mike and Amanda. Y'all take a seat. How I met Mike and Amanda—I was um, one day, one Sunday, it was their first day, I think, visiting in New Beginnings, and I was walking in the foyer and I saw them down in the, looking at the mission wall. Uh, They were just checking out all the pictures on there. If you know me, if I see an opportunity to go talk to somebody about missions, I'm gonna jump on that. So I sprint down the hallway and I go catch them and we have a a great conversation. And who knew, I didn't, but God and His sovereignty knew two years later we would be at this moment here. And so Mike, tell us a little bit about what's going on with the Mathis family right now.
1: Yeah, so um, our family is gonna be moving to Dubai in the United Arab Emirates, which is a country in the Middle East, uh, at the end of August, August 31st. So we actually lived there for two years, from 2017 to 2019, and um, I will be serving on staff. I'll be the director of Family Ministries at Redeemer Church of Dubai, where we served before, and and even in these two years, so these 2017 or sorry, 2019 to now, we've been living and teaching in Hallsville, and so. Even since we've been back, our, our heart has still been burdened for the area. And so uh, specifically the city of Dubai and the church there. And so the opportunity came up this spring and uh, for us to, to go there and serve again. And, and New Beginnings, so grateful, is is sending us. And so just so thankful for New Beginnings that um, individuals, we, we we don't just go. The church always sends. And so just a couple things about Dubai. So Dubai. Uh, Like I said, Dubai is in the Middle East. It's in the middle of what we call the 1040 window, which is across North Africa, the Middle East, um, a big part of Asia where the over 3,000 unreached people groups that George mentioned, the majority of those are in this area, this window basically. And many of these are actually coming to Dubai to work. And so these unengaged, unreached people groups coming to work, but the other interesting thing about Dubai is that even though um, it's in a Muslim country, the church legally exists there. The, the rulers there have been very kind to the church over several decades, and the church has been flourishing. So Christians can live there and, and live out their faith freely and even though unreached peoples are coming there to work. So the, opportun- the gospel opportunities are, are just amazing. And as we just, we think about that, that's what we want to see. We want to see people come to faith who repent of sin, trust in Jesus as the only hope for salvation, for forgiveness, for joy, and see disciples made. That's, that's why we're going and that's, that's what we want to see.
0: Yeah. Praying for the Lord to do. Amen. So that calling that God has placed on the Mathises home and family, it's not just for Mike, it's, it's also for Amanda. So Amanda, tell us a little bit about some opportunities that you will have there, and for others that may come.
2: Um, so th- for at least the first year, um, I'll be homeschooling our kiddos, Emily and Sam. Um, and homeschooling actually is a ministry in itself. Um, like Michael said, there's 90% of Dubai are expats that move in from these countries. Um, there is no free education for them. You either have to go to a private school or you homeschool. Those are your two options. So a good majority of those people that move in are moving to earn money to send back to their families. So they choose homeschool, which is the free option. Um, So there are tons of co-ops that get together to do activities. Um, There are extracurricular activities like sports and music and art um, that just create this opportunity for us to meet people from all of these unreached places. Um, So the years before when we were there, I was a teacher at an international school, and that in itself is another opportunity that might come up. Um, This international school had over 70 nationalities represented there. Um, I had friends that were teachers with me that were from Ireland. They were from Pakistan. They were from South Africa. They were from all over. Um, So intentional relationships with those teachers was so important. Um, My students were also from all over the place. I had students from Syria, from Lebanon, from... Iran, from all of these different places. So also intentional um, relationships with them. So Dubai has a great opportunity to reach these people that come in, yeah. not just as teachers. Um, you can go as a doctor, as a nurse. Um, you can go as finance. There are so many opportunities to work there and live intentionally.
0: Yeah, that's so good. On the side note, right after the, our second service, there was a, a, a lady that came up and said, George, you know, my, my brother <laughs> just got off the plane in Dubai. It was like two days ago. Two days two ago. Days ago. <laughs> yeah, so there's so many different op- opportunities for people to get connected there. So Mike, I know that there has got to be a lot of stuff that you're thinking through and your family's working through. What are some ways that we can, as a church, specifically pray for you guys? So I'd say the the first thing is just for our family, uh, that
1: we would have the provision we need. We're still looking for a place to live. We're not worried about that coming, but we're still looking for that. Getting visas and making sure that all the the, the logistics, all the things we need to get there and live there come together. Uh, The second thing is just for the continuing ministry of the church. So as as George mentioned uh, earlier, Revelation 7, we see this picture of all tribes and tongues and languages and nations gathering around the throne of the Lamb. That's, that's guaranteed. It's going to happen. Yeah. And there are a lot that are not reached yet. Well, Redeemer on, on a weekend worship gathering, it's a small taste picture of that. The membership of the church is 60 nationalities. Wow. And so you can look around and see Kenyans and Nigerians and South Africans and Indians and Filipinos and Nepalis and people from the UK and Mexico and Brazil and keep going all worshiping together in English. And so the continuing ministry, not just that people come to faith, but make disciples. What does that mean to walk with Jesus? What does that mean to find your joy in him? And that's, that's what we want to see. So many people come there on two year work contracts and then have to go back to their home country. Mm. That's really common. And so people come to faith from unreached places and take the gospel back there. Mm. So we want to see that continue. And then uh just the last thing is just that the Lord would raise up more laborers for the harvest mm. as you're preaching on that uh, those opportunities. So for even for for college students who graduate, like you can we you can get a job there. We there's a lot of people that work in, in oil out there. So so many opportunities to move there intentionally. Uh, for, for these amazing gospel opportunities there yeah. in Dubai. That's
0: so good. I'm so thankful for this family. And, church, because of your continued giving and the way that you support new beginnings, we're able to come alongside the Mathis family and be a contributing, sending church for them. So, thank you guys for that, but thank you guys for your obedience to your calling. Church family, As they stand, I want you to extend your hand out to the Mathis family, as well as Emily and Sam. Where where are you guys? If y'all would stand up. Just extend your hand out as we pray over this family. When are you guys leaving? Uh,
1: August 31st.
0: August 31st. So it's coming very soon. So let's pray over them. Jesus, Lord, thank you so much for the Mathis family. Thank you for what you are doing and what you have been doing in their lives. God, we pray that you will continue to Go before them and provide every need that they are needing to transition very soon, God. God, we know that you are good and we can trust in you. So, Father, continue to prepare their hearts and prepare their their family as they transition. Jesus, we love you and we thank you, and it's in your name that I pray, amen. Guys, give a round of applause for their obedience to God's calling. Church, you you hear this story of the Mathis family, and you think, man, that is one that's that's either amazing, or that's crazy. Like, I don't. That sounds a little bit too radical for me. I, maybe y'all can get me to go on something a little closer. They're on a whole nother level of Christianity. Like they, those, the Mathis, those are those super Christian. That's what you may be thinking. That's not the case, man. These this is ordinary people, ordinary people. You're talking school teachers. But what they did was put their trust in God. They said yes. They had to surrender to some things. Some things were gonna be hard. Like, it's not gonna be easy. They're not gonna know the outcome of certain things. Like Mike said, he doesn't even know where they're gonna stay, but the answer is yes. He put his yes on the table and he's going. Now, I feel like, and I know that before you can go, before you can leave and be sent, you have to know that you're saved. You have to know that you have a relationship with Jesus. I didn't get to finish telling you about Larry. You know, Larry, he went on that that quick flight and when he came down, he did get some fame. He got a, a little bit of money off of it, some advertisements. But Larry was hurting, there was a void in his heart that that fame and that fortune couldn't fill. So at 40 years old, Larry hiked up a mountain so he could just gaze out and look at how beautiful God's creation is. And Larry took his life at 40 years old. After receiving the fame and fortune that he thought that's what he needed. And I feel like there's there's some people in this room today that you're going through some stuff in your life. There's some things that maybe have happened to you. There's shame that's inside of you that you're like, man, I I can't do this anymore. And you need to say no to something and yes to Jesus. You can continue to try to fill this void in your your life with other things, and I'm telling you, I'm begging you to know that it's not gonna fill it. You can't wait. There may be many of you in this room, they're like, George, well, I grew up going to church. I I grew up in East Texas. I come to church every Sunday. My mom made sure I was there. Well, I could say the same thing about myself. But unless you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it means nothing. You may be like, man, one day I'm going to get clean enough. I'm going to start being a better dad, and then I can start taking my family to church. Then I can start hitting my knees and praying. Maybe one day when I beat this habit, I can start being a better father. Or when I get enough money, then I can be good. I'll have what I need then. Then I can start following Jesus. Now, I want to tell you, that day is not coming. Until you surrender your life to Jesus, it's not coming. You can continue to strive after these things that are gonna end up with just more and more brokenness, more and more emptiness, and it's just gonna be a circle over and over again. I've been there, but I also can tell you that the day that you get bold enough to say, you know what, I've tried it on my own, I got the fame, I got the money, and I'm still depressed. I've tried it over and over, but now I'm gonna submit myself to you, Jesus, because I can't do it by myself. The moment you get to that point, that level of brokenness where you can only depend upon Jesus, when you do that, your life will change. I'm not saying it's gonna be easy, it's gonna be hard. The world's gonna tell you you don't need to do it. The world's gonna put everything against you. You can think that you're gonna make it, but I'm telling you until you surrender your life to Jesus, nothing is going to change. There's many of you here tonight, this morning that are struggling, you're wrestling with just that. There's many of you that are wrestling with something going on in your life, with your marriage maybe, with something that's holding you back that has you buckled down like a chain and you need to let it go. You may, you may have known Jesus, you may know Jesus, and He's your Savior, but there's something going on that you're not letting go of. Maybe it's a job you're wrestling over. Maybe it's a, a family member that you love, when they're lost, you got to let it go. You have to bring it here to the altar and give it to Jesus. And until you do that, nothing's gonna change. I've been there, church, and I'm telling you, if you want, your life to be different, if you want to be made new, you have to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Now, church family, in just a minute, we're gonna have a time to respond. And if you are here and you're hurting, you don't know what else to do. I want you to grab somebody or come by yourself. But man, I can't get up here and I can't tell you about the way Jesus changes you. I can't get up here and just talk about Larry and the stuff he did and not tell you how Jesus can transform your life. But you gotta let him. So church, in a minute, whatever it is that you're wrestling with, whatever you gotta let go of, I pray that you will come down to this altar and say, Jesus, I don't know what I can do, but I wanna give it to you. And I say yes to you. Grab a friend, grab somebody you know and say, hey, I need you to come pray with me. Pray with my family. Church, don't leave this place the way you came in. Surrender it to Jesus. Jesus, God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for the way that you meet us exactly where you are. That, God, that you, that you don't, we don't have to clean ourselves up to come to you, that you want to meet us, you wanna know us. So, Father, I pray right now that whoever it is in this place, I know that there's people that you're calling, that I pray that they will move forward, that they will be bold enough to surrender to you. They will put the yes at this altar. Father God, I pray that you will move in this place. It's in your name I pray.